Welcome to Seize the GM. I'm your host, Zended. I am your co-host, Jules. And I'm Garda Moje. Have you ever had a great idea for a campaign? Do you have a group of friends who want to play an RPG, but you have no one to run it? Do you want to see what the world is like behind the GM screen instead of in front of it? Well, we're here to help you do just that. Each week, the three of us will be discussing various GMing topics, terminology, maps, atmosphere, world building, you name it. So sit back and relax. Let us help you. Improve your art of GMing. One show at a time. Banter, banter, banter. And we are entering the banter segment. (laughs) We are back! Hello, welcome. <laughs> so, after a while of fighting with the, you know, internet and all of the other fun things, we're actually able to sit down and record. Somewhat, a little. Yeah. Uh, uh, technology has not been playing well with us this evening, so this is actually take one, two, three. Four. Yes. Take number four on our attempts to record this episode. So if we sound a little bit frazzled, verklempt, yeah. verklempt, yes, such a good word. <laughs> but the part of the sad news is involves Zen and and kind of part of our slowdown in recording and and kind of the the time and care that had to be put into sending off a, a valued member of the family. Yeah. Yeah. My 13-year-old Boston. Mm. We were going to sit down and record last time, and I actually had him in the room sitting there with me the whole time, and nobody even heard him. And it in I think in the closing of this, uh, Null supposedly has an audio track from when we were playing Shadowrun, with oh, Opti, yeah. and you heard him snoring, and that's <laughs> oh, yeah. going to be the very end of this episode, I think. So, I think that's a fitting send off. Yeah. Oh yeah. So. Oh yeah. But Jules, uh, kind of transitioning, segueing away from our sad for a moment, mm-hmm. you had some awesome fun and good. So, uh, <laughs> why don't you give us a shot in the arm with what you've been up to? <laughs> Well, uh, okay, you're going to laugh. Um, I flew out to Gen Con, and it was my first time on an airplane since the 90s. <laughs> mm-hmm. So first, uh, I get a – I'm smart, and I book us a balls early flight. And I didn't – I'm like, oh, yeah, take off the shoes. So now I'm like, oh, and I'm wearing my super comfy, squishy, slip-on-the-ground socks. So, of course, ass over tea cuddle. So – Giggles right there. So guess what I learned, you know. Um, next time I get in those, like, hospital socks with the grippy things on the bottom, as a no for the future, people. And uh, yeah. Gen Con was awesome. I ended up going into the webcomics area, and I met um, Ryan and Laura from the guys that were looking for a group, and they autographed uh, the, uh, the game, and I got photos with them, and I completely fangirled out. And then I 
met uh, Randy Mulholland, who does something positive. And that was the first webcomic I ever started reading ever. Uh, my buddy Mark, who we interviewed, turned me on to it. And I, I bought a bunch of comic books, and he did a sketch for Mark because I wanted to give him something special. And, you know, and I, I brought up, it's like, I love your comic, but I had to say, it's like, I've... Uh, you have like this trick or treat thing, and I've stolen a whole bunch of those ideas, and I've used them in uh, Little Fears. And he just stops sketching for a second, looks up, eyes like boink, and honest to God, it's just like you like Little Fears. I'm like, heck yeah, I like Little Fears. And we were just take 15 minutes, just back and forth, talking about how he runs it, because he'll like get like McDonald's like kids meal toys, or and and all these wonderful things back and forth, back and forth. And we're just having like a a grand old time. And then finally, we're like, okay, okay, all right, stop, breathe. All right, I'm like, I'm taking up too much of your time. And he's just like, well, do you want a sketch? I'm like, what? Because he already did one for 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 Mark. And I felt, I'm like, are you sure? He's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, sure, okay. And he's like, what do you like? I'm like, little fears surprise me. And he did this awesome sketch, and it's like this creepy hand sticking out of a closet with a crooked finger beckoning here. And it's like a little kid standing in front of it. And you only see that hand, and he's holding like this little teddy bear, and it's the most amazing thing ever. That's cool. <laughs> no, it's like ah. Yeah, I, if if I get a, ever get a chance to do things like that with an artist, I always give them like the most basic framework so that they can create something that you didn't think that they were going to be creating, and it usually turns out really nice. So yeah, that's awesome. It was so cool. Yeah. And uh, Gordon Moget, what have you been up to lately? Uh, way too much work, way too busy in, in meat space. But in between all of that, I, I've been doing a lot of reading with a bunch of systems. Now, if you're a true and regular listener of Seize the GM, you know about the card catalog, where weekly I'm doing the write-ups of different characters of systems and switching systems every four to six months. And uh, How about now, every four to six weeks? Uh, four to six weeks. Sorry. <laughs> this is what happens when you're on take number four of an episode. Yeah. Uh, every four to six weeks. So I'm on two different systems I'm currently learning that I haven't made characters in before for upcoming card catalogs. Huh. One fairly new in the last five years and one from, well, 30 years before that, back in 1982. So it's a real experience and really interesting to see how game design has and hasn't changed and some of the things that people talk about today and new and neat and different being in the 1982 game. That's yeah. kind of a, a fun little thing. Yes. And I'm, I can hardly wait to see what you come up with for this. <laughs> I'm, I'm scared to death personally. Well, the thing is, is that the reason that the, the one that he's talking about from the 80s is the one that I've been talking about forever. And he's finally getting into doing it. So I will not divulge that. I will let him do that um, if he's going to. But Well, we're still probably a good month and a half, two months from it dropping. So, uh, even by the time this comes out. <laughs> so, we'll keep that a little close to the vest for now. Alright. I'm not wearing a vest. <laughs> you aren't wearing pants either. What's your point? Point. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, dude, it's, a, it's the house of slack and science. No pants! Yeah. 
They impede the, th- they impede the scientific process. They do. <laughs> they do. I'm a fan of pants, and I'm a fan of shoes that have laces. Uh, yeah? <laughs> Dude, my climbing shoes, they have to... Almost all the other shoes that people wear are Velcro. Mine have laces. Italian leather. Love them. Yeah. I mostly wear laced shoes when I fly, because I won't let the airlines win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that just asks big, huge, wonderful questions about the world. Oh, yeah. yeah. The world? Really? Yes, the world, I say. Oh, huh. yeah. Forced transition. <laughs> <laughs> Duh. It'd be a lot less subtle if we just went doodly doo, You know, all Wayne's World style shit. Hey, hey. We can do Don't that tempt if we want him. to. I know. <laughs> Indeed. But no, our main topic tonight, we are really talking about world building. Yes, we just talked about it, but we want to go and kind of look at world building 201 and, and build off of what we started on last time. Yeah, because world building is there – are, there are entire podcasts dedicated to just that topic. So if we are going to – do things like that. You need to just keep going and keep going until they actually, you know, either you end up with a blog post or an entire, like, series of blog posts or an entire new podcast just dedicated to world building because there's literally that much to go into. You accidentally write gaming supplements. Yeah, you do. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, no. It's like, and then all of a sudden you look, and you're like, ah, okay, I think I've got an, and you just look at what you've typed or what you've written out, you know, and you're like, oh, my God, there's 27 volumes on my computer. Yeah. And they and they go from, like, you know, to, like, a, there's, like, a bajillion years old. To last minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's that's part of the point of these world-building posts is to kind of give you the tools of what questions to ask to help you world-build in a more efficient fashion, whether it's top-down, whether it's bottom-up, or you know, threading that ever-elusive needle. These are the sorts of questions that answering helps you put a game on the table for your players. Right. And and they are. They're, they're very, very important. And one of the one of the big ones is usually who's in charge at the end of the day somebody is in charge of something and usually your players are either working for or against capital t capital m the man trademark yes so who is the man that they're working for or against well that's that's kind of the point is this is one of those big questions and it helps to have a little bit of an idea. Is it, you know, are you playing? It depends kind of also on the setting. Because if you're playing in a fantasy game and you're like, your big, like, person in charge is something that doesn't make normal sense. You need why to is it there? Working, yeah. The reason, world building is about making a consistent setting that has verisimilitude, that you believe yes. in an appropriate level. So, oh, yeah. 
science fiction, one of my favorite ideas, you know, a post-scarcity science fiction or dystopian future. Uh, it's the communal social media voting platform that is in charge of society. The government is de- and policy is determined by communal social media voting. <sighs> that is totally dystopic and so uh, what was it? What was the show? Uh, Black Mirror. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, that was terrifying. Well, I haven't seen it, so I, if I accidentally stole something, I didn't mean to. No, but, but it, there's – there's China just recently started basically doing this. Yes, yeah, Sesame Credit. Hello, yeah. I've been – and I've known about this for – It's uh, been a, a while. couple of years. Yeah. But it was I, I last year that, that they actually ago. made it, it into becomes, effective – it's going on right now. It go, no, the thing is like it's – opt-in right now, it goes mandatory in 2020, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, but, and that is a way in which you are able to uh, control part of the story from the GM side. Mm-hmm. When yeah. you've got a communal social media voting platform, you can reflect the player's actions back on the world by changing the public opinion in ways that they then see reflected. Now, let's take that in you know a different direction if you're doing a small scale local game what matters maybe is just the gang everybody pays protection to on the block maybe yeah. all you need to yeah all you need to start are the colors and one or two guys who come around collecting the protection money yeah or maybe it's you know if if it's in a present day game it could still be those things or it could be you know if you've got like Dude, you could turn an HOA into that issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And all of us have heard the wonderful stories about, you know, the, 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 you know, like the, the, the poor, you know, the poor dude going against the HOA and then foisting them by their own petard, you know, by getting them voted out or arrested. Yeah. Or have, you know, the, <laughs> the X-Files has a great episode about that. But Jules, what you just did was actually kind of square up the second question to ask you're welcome what's the current conflict Uh, you don't play these games these role-playing games for the ordinary normal course of life you're not going to the office and filling out paperwork and getting your tps reports in on time these are about dynamic and moving stories and so you need conflict wait it doesn't we're not we're not trying to make it like you know what was the (laughs) the old in the old D and D, in in first edition DMG, there was a you know we're playing we're playing accountants and school teachers, <laughs> you know, and it's all these dragons oh, yeah. sitting around. Oh, yeah. Humans and houses, human yeah. houses, humans and houses. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, like, and let's just bring up one thing: conflict does not always have to mean fighting an enemy or something like that. It is some. It is. What makes you uncomfortable and forces something out of the the stasis, the static? Well, All right? it it doesn't have to be a monster charging through, right? It could be, could be social conflict. It could, could be, be an intellectual illness. It illness. Could be, yeah, it could be something that's just a complete out of your hands, like it, yeah. it, a disease. A zombie apocalypse is a great version of that. Oh yeah. Or I mean, the thing is, like the, the actual infection, right? not the yeah. not the actual zombies, but that yeah. actual infection. Your, your fear of getting sick, mm-hmm. you know. But there was the I can't. I want to say it was Neil Gaiman. Is just like you have the characters and everyone's playing with it, 
And then you see what horrible things you can do to them. Yeah. And the thing is, you don't. And so here's something. It's like if you're able to some. And here's sometimes the the one the best thing if you can pull it off. It's hard. Takes a bit of practice, and you got to know your players. You have the players. You, you make one of them a little uncomfortable, and then they're the ones that actually initiate the conflict on themselves. Because yeah. they'll do it better than anything you can come up with because no one knows your id, your ego, and your superego better than you. Yeah. Well, and you can also tie your overall theme of the campaign into what sort of conflicts you're talking about. If one of the themes you're looking at is, you know, demagoguery is about um, kind of that, that corruption of the uh, polity in, in mm. society, that communal social voting platform setting in the sci-fi world can really be used to push that if the conflict you're fighting is about competing news stations. If it's about getting the right break and getting the most viewers and and eyes on your stream to influence that social media voting platform, you then are setting the conflict forward to make the players think about or at least be aware of whether their decisions to obscure the truth to get more viewers – is moral or immoral. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whether or not reporting is, the truth, yeah. yeah, whether or not reporting the truth, which could cause more conflict between individuals, is a good or bad decision to make. And asking them to make those decisions helps set up that theme in a conflict that is not necessarily about, like you said, Jules, throwing punches or hack and slash. Yeah. Yep. Granted, it can be, and that's fun. But here, here's the thing. It's like, all right, you – and this this is actually in Shadowrun. It's like, do you betray the contract you have that you've already given your word that you will do because you found out there's some underlying stuff and it really rubs you the wrong way? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I mean there's always that option, but that's and an easy this option. Is the reason, well, that, that, that's the reason why I usually play psychopaths or sociopaths because – all right, you know, it's like, nope, I complete the contract, and then I'm a freelancer, and I can actually go to tell people that that screwed over. I'm like, yep, here's what happened. Here's all the inside thing. What do you want to pay me to get back at this guy? <laughs> I'm a. That's the that's the big reason. It's it. I I don't like playing that kind of at least that kind of internal moral kind of fight because we all live that shit every day. But you know, playing the. God, like uh, the Walking Dead, the uh, the video game that Telltale put out. Yeah, you know, you you got to make a choice. Do you save the teenager or do you save the six year old? Right. You know, and split second. So yeah. it's the thing is like, but but see, when you're in those sorts of situations, you you know, like you're saying, like that's kind of how you figure out. You know, you use those types of conflicts, though, to figure out how do these characters that the players have Uh fit into that setting that you're working. Exactly. Yeah, there are two different big ways that you make sure the players fit into it, and one of those is that conflict. How do they relate to the conflict itself? Um, Another is, you know, how they literally plug into that world. And Mm -hmm. uh, we've mentioned fate before, and I think fate does a really good job of actually forcing that in the design of your characters in the game. uh, Of actually 
it asks the question, you know, is your dashing close combat expert a graduate of a well-known school of fighters? Well, okay, let's reflect that on your sheet. Yes. Yep. But the one thing you also have to do, like when you're setting this stuff up, is making sure that, you know, the thing is like you kind of have to make sure that the players know who they're playing because if they're playing a character that is extremely honor bound and will always go through this, but they're the kind of person where the, if, but in real life, they're much more of a Robin hood kind of person. It's like, though they see injustice. I don't care if I gave you my word, I'm punching you in the face. You got to make sure. I mean, it's, it's a, the thing is like, it's a little touchy feely, I guess. Best way to describe that. I, I, mm. words are not my awesome. (laughs) Well, and making sure that the conflict you're presenting to the players fits with what they're doing and making sure that they have that buy-in is part of this, making sure they fit into the setting. Uh, is, buy-in and agency, I think, would be much, you know. Well, it's not, ju- not just agency. And I think no, we but, have to – No, it's that, buy-in and. No, but there's another part of that that's not about player agency and not about putting it on the players, and, and we take away – from GMs when I think we over-involve players. There's nothing wrong with the DM setting things up, the GM creating some frameworks. Yeah. If, if your mage got a scholarship to learn magic, it could be from an organization that has a secret society that's out to rule the world and is actually going to be one of the big bosses and villains you fight. That's okay. That's a way to make sure the player fits into the setting as you design the campaign. Yes. That isn't about, yeah, that isn't about player agency. But it's no, about. But, it's, I, but I mean, as an agency, as they still get to pick who and what and where, and it's our job to take that and then go slot, slot, slot. They, it's not like the we tell them you went to school on a scholarship. You know, we can help give them ideas and then we take. You know what I mean? Well, and you can also build it out with them. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're amazed. This is this is no, a I lot because I got railroaded. I got railroaded in a couple of games about my character's past, and I'm like. No, even though my my past, we were still kind of figuring it out. I got railroaded so it would fit in with the world and the plot. And I'm like, I don't like that. I have set the world up where certain backgrounds have to have a certain background. In a super heroic heroic campaign that I designed once, in that world, the way magic worked, if you were an angel, you had to build your powers in a certain way. Oh, yeah. And that's, yes. But that's part of the setting. And that's how... That's how those players fit into your setting. Yep. Is you have to have that basic framework. And once you have that basic framework in place, you can say, you know, it's it's basically setting down the rules. Not the rules of the of the game system that you're using, but the rules of the world. Because those can be how they come of. to be. They're very important, actually, because if you have all these players and you're like, you know, we're playing this, like, okay, we're going to play a pulp-like fantasy game, okay? Yeah, so you, you have your ideas, okay? So you're like, you know, one person is like, okay, I want to do this, like, crazy swashbuckly, like, you know, swings from a chandelier, you know, fancy fighter guy. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> that works. That can work in pole. And then you have the guy who's like, um, 
I I'm I'm the I'm an investigator. And you know, I walk around, I don't really have any powers, I don't do anything special is you know and he's very noir. Yes. Well, that's not pulp. It's a yeah. different setting. Exactly. They're not fitting into your setting. And that's where you laid your framework. And they're like, I want to play I, outside of that framework. And you're like, well. That doesn't work. This is what we're doing. You're a little too far on Sam Spade and not close enough to Doc Savage. Can I get you to take a half step back? Yeah. Me? And then we can work with that kind of proto-noir. But yeah, and that. Yeah. That and that's. Goes- and that, but that's that's that weaving that the the GM and the player has to do. Yeah. That truly will make all of the characters not only fit the setting, but they will make them more memorable to the players. Mm-hmm. And that leads into something. Oh, go ahead. It's George. ownership. It's the thing is like it makes everyone feel like they are they they got ownership and. Ownership and, and and kind of I don't want to say control, but it's like ownership of the world in which they live. They 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 have the, they have a master of their destiny kind of a thing. Well, and that goes into something else that you as a GM ought to be prepping. And I think it's important to look at your first boss fight in the sub bosses because you need to know not just what the conflict is, but where are they going to have to face it. And when they've got a master of their own destiny, you know what that collision course is going to be. Oh, yeah. And you get to help build towards that to make sure that, you know, and that boss doesn't have to be, you know, the ogre who is bigger than the orcs they're fighting. That could be, uh, going back to my post-scarcity social media voting platform political game, that could be the date of the next election. Yeah. Yep. It actual. doesn't have to be an actual physical thing. It no, could be it's... an esoteric idea, even. Or like the fir- or like building them up to the very, very first crisis of faith. And I'm not talking like religious, but something that they all believe in. You know, it. it but then all of a sudden, it, it. It's like the wait, what? It's the first time that they feel something's wrong. They feel something's wrong. Now I see it. Yeah. Now, that also is, you know, the beginning of World Building 301, which we'll come back to later, because <laughs> yeah. that's where, yeah, that's like the broadening five, of scope. Mm-hmm, oh, and, and, well, we've got to get through 202 and 203 as well. Oh, but, of course. But you're just talking ahead, and that's that's setting that stage. Yeah. And in all honesty, like, while, while we said, you know, it's not the, the orc, you know, or the ogre that's, that's there, it can be. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it can just be that simple, like, here's the next bad guy to beat down, you know, and sometimes that can be fun. Look, how many people played Final Fantasy VII, and when the weapon showed up, you just kind of cracked your knuckles and went, ooh, big thing to fight. Yeah. No. Nah. See, I didn't play seven. I played Yeah, that too. But the thing is, like, let me let me put it. Um, this is actually kind of funny. Uh, there's a game called Disgaea, and you know, you you get you know one 
you, you, you kind of have like your first kind of like a progression up, progression up of these uh, turn-based move fights. And then you go on to this one and he's, and everyone's like, oh, it's mid-boss. And they change the character's name uh, the, it, from Byers the Dark Adonis to mid-boss. Everyone kind of sees what he is, but they you end up subvert they end up subverting it where um, he's actually not a mid boss. He's actually there to to kind of help the the characters, and they kind of had this real like, wait a minute, yeah. and they had to have that before they saw the big bad. So it's also kind of there's a wonderful little subversion you can pull in there where they think because everyone has that innate feel for how a story in a world goes. Sure. So you can actually subvert that a little bit and kind of put them off the wait what without breaking their immersion, and it's it's delightful. Yeah, and and there's nothing wrong with doing that, but now kind of letting like don't forget you can. Yeah, because everyone, a lot of it that you do see sometimes is also you must follow the script exactly, and that gets and while it can be helpful, but sometimes it can be, you know, if. Because they might be getting the buy-in, but they might start to be oh – God, what's the right word for it? You know what I'm talking about, right? Where it's, yeah. Generally what I'm going to – yeah. Generally, if you're going to subvert tropes, it's best if you have run multiple games before and preferably with these same people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When you have managed to build up your own personal tropes, it makes it easier to subvert those. Yeah. And the idea with this boss fight and sub-bosses is this is the direct conflict, the direct – opposition the players will face where that conflict we talked about earlier is kind of a thematic thing mm-hmm. yeah and how the players fit into the setting you know kind of put that on the list between the two because it actually fits between the theoretical conflict of what's shaping the world how the players relate to the world and then where they're going to run into it right yeah and and that totally makes sense so Yeah, I, I don't know where I was going with that. Other than yeah, it just totally makes sense. <laughs> well, other than yeah, it, it does. Other than wanting to know from you at home what some of the second questions you ask yourself when building a world are. You know, you've got your big ideas and themes, and now, you know, who's in charge? What's the conflict? Where do the players fit in, or what are some of the ways they can fit in? What do you do? And share that with us, be it on Twitter, on Instagram, on our Facebook group, or maybe even pop over to Patreon as we work on revamping that for your yeah. viewing and listening pleasure. Also, and, we have a uh, Discord server. Oh, yeah, the Discord server. I, yeah. I forget about the Discord server. I know. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. What I'm curious to see from our listeners is what ways do you want to interact with us? Because if we're not seeing a lot – on certain things, we'll start dialing it back so we're not trying to spread ourselves too thin. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there, there's there's not that many of us, you know. None of us are Jimmy yeah. Madrox and Multiple Man here, right? Uh, oh, Jimmy. I wish we could be. It'd be so much easier, especially if like setting up a tent or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and with that, we're going to go ahead and hit the break. Yeah, let's let's go ahead. Lines have been cut. Run <laughs> as we roll into the stat blocks. <laughs> I 
And now we enter stat blocks. This is a segment where you can use something that we've created in your game tonight. All right, so um, I'm not going first. <laughs> Screw you guys! I am not going first. Okay, I'll. You know what? I'll go first. Yay! I will go first, and Jules is following me. I hate you so much. <laughs> okay. The dark. As the darkness flows over the area, the creator of it sits quietly, waiting for it to finish. The creator, known as the dark, waits after years of slowly working on this revenge plan for the final stage to activate. As those final stages start to fall into place, she remembers what led her down this path. People always think it's the loss of a child that drives women to turn into the darkness or of the family, but what if it was something that wasn't that cliche? What if killing a person's dreams pushed them to this path? When the king pushed his kingdom into the forest, he pushed those that had made it their homes. Before she was known as the Dark, she was just called Malia, and she was a protector of them, all of them. Her dream was to be a great protector, and she lost that, not to the king, but to his champion and lover. The king was fine with moving a few people around, but... Not all of them. His champion, though, wanted to have land for his family. So he pushed harder and forced people to run. He killed everyone that got in his way. Malia came to stop him one day, and the champion stopped her by almost killing her. He left her to finish dying, but she didn't. She was a survivor. The king fell first and fast once she started her plan. Selling yourself to the darkness was the thing she did as she laid there. It told her how to bring about the fall of the champion. She put it all in place as she could. As she could. It took time. Years, in fact. The darkness is complete. And in the end, it consumed it all. You sick! I can't follow that. I can't. What the hell's wrong with you? I can't follow that. What? Oh my god! No! No! (laughs) Well, do you want to follow me instead? Oh God! I'm boned either way. God damn! All right. All right, I'll go. All right. Bob's Pipe. This is a strange artifact out there. It's not a bracelet or a necklace. It's not a weapon of any kind. It's a pipe. A gentleman's pipe with a black mouthpiece and a polished ebony bowl. 
This pipe once belonged to the world's greatest salesman, a man who made millions playing the stock market over the phone. It was rumored that when he failed, he still made a million dollars. There are many photos of this gentleman from his time as a photographer's model, and all of them include his trademark pipe. After his death, the veracity of which is still under debate, the pipe went missing. Rumors abound as to its current location, but tracking it down is nigh impossible. It shows up when and where it'll bring the deserving luck and the undeserving chaos. Bob's pipe is said to bring luck to anyone who clamps it between their teeth. The person can cross an eight-lane highway during rush hour, find a winning lotto ticket in the median, and then emerge unscathed on the other side. They can tell their boss what they really think of them while the big boss is walking by, and then they receive a promotion for speaking truth to power. Heck, rumors say they can even evade the blue shell and Mario Kart with no special items. As long as this pipe is held between the teeth, the stranger the effects become. Over time, the luck plane becomes visible and starts to overlay with reality. The smoke from the pipe changes from the expected gray to the strange blue-green color, and it doesn't seem to dissipate. It hangs in the area. Anyone who comes into contact with it will have a noticeable change in personality. Think of a case of the fuckets with no depressive influence. It seems to make the populace stop taking itself too seriously for a while while the holder laughs at the whole inanity of existence. With enough shakeup and the joke coming to its natural end, the pipe once again disappears. But wherever it turns up next, you can expect luck, slack, a dash of chaos, and some sublime self-delusion. Nice. (laughs) Fun. I like it. I couldn't, god damn it, I couldn't follow I never read your stat blocks. I don't read anybody's because I want to be surprised. Yeah. That's a good practice. Yeah. yeah, but I can't follow that creep, you know, with, I I decided to go against form and do something weird. Yeah. No, I like Which it. Which is good. Yes. <laughs> and it's important that we do that frequently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll take it all home. How about that? I'll, right. see, I'll see if I can harmonize these two extremes into one single stat block for Sally Strudel. Sally smiles quite a lot when she is home. She seems to be one of those eternally pleasant, eternally cheerful, and contented women who love to make a home. Her dark hair is pulled back into a ponytail, but not in a ran-out-of-time way, but a carefully considered way as her hair is just between being cut too short and having grown out. You would swear she always has that same blue shirt on when you come over, and seems to always be perfectly pressed. It's odd, though, as you don't remember how you met Sally. You don't recall if it was church or work or the park. You just know she asked you to come over for some tea. It's a perfectly arranged home with just a hint of clutter, a hint of last-minute cleaning, so you feel like she might really be human. The pie baking in the oven permeates the house with the smell of fruit and spices, sugar and lard. You are sure that the pie is going to taste like a breath of fresh air, a piece of summer, and a slice of dessert. Sally's smile is so distracting, so wide and full, like she had extra teeth in her perfectly shaped head. But when the tea is being poured and the pie being sliced, the doorbell rings, and Sally steps away. Just when you have one last chance to make good on the promise you made yourself last time you were here. The promise to stop Sally. (laughs) I love it. Oh, that is so good. 
And, and we've got a picture of the uh, painting that inspired this that should be accompanying this podcast. And if it doesn't, maybe we'll put it up on the blog or maybe in the doodly do some other way for you to see. Yeah. Mm. Or Instagram. Or Instagram. We can use the Insta more. Insta yeah. popular. Exactly. Well, I guess it's time to, to go ahead and flip on over to our next topic. Lexicon, where we give you cool words to help improve your vocabulary. Okay. Ah, here we go, folks. Well, for Lexicon, our word this time is going to be vainglory. (laughs) Really, dude? Yeah. Why not? V-A-N-E-V-E-I-N. V-A-I-N-G-L-O-R-I-Y? Yes. Vainglory. I said, I don't look at this in advance. That's why I need to know how it's spelled. Vainglory, like vainglorious dolt, which is one of my favorite phrases ever. Ah. Yes. So, I, we're not even going to go into that. We're just going to go ahead and jump right into the... Uh, the definitions. Go for it. <laughs> so, definition of vainglory. Number one is um, extensive or ostentatious pride, especially at one's achievements. And two is vain display or show of vanity. And the etymology and origin is Middle English, which is Vainglory borrowed from Anglo-French, vine glory from vine, feminine of vain. So, and after medieval Latin, which is look if it comes from Anglo-French, it probably comes from medieval Latin. Yeah, well, yeah. that's just just how it goes. <laughs> yeah, general rule of thumb. And its first known use is the 13th century. And its popularity is in the bottom 40% of words. All of you comic book fans out there, uh, you should probably have the same image in your head right now of Vainglorious Dolt as I do, which is a backlit Deathstroke the Terminator in the original Teen Titans run when he was taking down Beast Boy, or Changeling at the time. If you don't know this, literally Google Vainglorious Dolt, click on images, and it will be one of the top ten responses. Yeah. Really? I'm sure it will. Have to look this up. No, like I've already found it and uploaded it into the chat since <laughs> Zen said vainglory. <laughs> no, I'm going to have to look this up and just find a – I need to get a better resolution image Yeah. and put it well, in my cube. What we will do is we will uh, – I think we've got a lot of artwork for this one, so I think we're going to go ahead and throw those into the uh, Insta feed. So if you're not following us on Instagram, find us on Instagram and laugh at our attempts to use hashtags well. Yes. Yes, please do. we're all old. Yes. <laughs> I think I use them pretty well, but, you know. I Much better than words. I do. So. Well, yeah, but there's. Mm. Yeah, pretty much anybody can do better than me. Uh-huh. <laughs> you still call it a pound sign. <sighs> that's because that's what it is. <laughs> On the telephone. I have a blank, you know, flat, shiny screen on mine. 
Oh, I miss a rotary phone. <laughs> and people think I'm the people think I'm the old fashioned fuddy duddy. I'm like, you need to meet my friend Zen. I am a luddite. I am such a luddite. It is true. But let's go ahead and hit our closing remarks. So we can go ahead and wrap this bad boy up. Well, since I was the last to go for the stat block, I'll be the first to go in the closing remarks. Uh, Since some of you out there listening still have this available, now is the time, now is the chance. Get your last fresh and local tomatoes from a farmer's market and enjoy them. Uh, We're towards the end of our season here, but some of you should still have them. Get to a farmer's market, pay a couple of extra bucks, and taste a fresh tomato picked no more than a day before you bought it. And if you haven't, you will understand why tomatoes are wonderful. I just walk out and get one of my uh, black crims. Ooh, that's nice. (laughs) Yeah. I I can hear the jealousy. (laughs) I'm a big purple Cherokee fan, so... I had some of those earlier this year, but yeah. And for those who don't know, those are heirloom tomatoes. So particular varieties with different colors and different tastes, and they aren't just mealy and mushy like they are in the supermarket. You should go and find them. But that is my closing remark and recommendation. All right. Jules, go. (laughs) All right. Uh, I I have to give credit to the inspiration for tonight's uh, stat block, the church of the subgenius. Yep. So Church of the Subgenius, it's pretty much, you know, simply slack off, quit your job, slack off, finger off to the pink boys. But here's the two things. If you're going to have a hamburger, don't just eat the hamburger. Eat the hell out of that hamburger. And 10 <laughs> and 2, fuck them if they can't take a joke. So the thing is, like, Church of the Subgenius is a parody of a lot of the, the goofy kind of cultish religions. Based yeah. off of J.R. Bob Dobbs, and Bob is always in quotation marks. You can hear the quotation marks when spoken. Yeah. And yes, I actually am a member of the Church of the Subgenius, so yeah. <laughs> I can legally marry you to your beer. Well, that's important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, all right, and Take I'm going to bring this in. So for those who, uh, in gaming news, uh, have lived under a rock since... I want to say it was April. Um, the Pathfinder 2E playtest has dropped. It dropped the Thursday of Gen Con. Uh-huh. And I have read it. I am actually running it. And it is good. It normal three five combats seem to take a fairly long time. Now they did it was they were all first level characters. It was only a party of three. It wasn't even a full four or five people. With three people only having to look rules up, they finished the entire first adventure aside from two fights in four hours. Nice. That's a nice convention level length. And that is, but that was the entirety of the first adventure. 
it's it's slick. The combats are fast. The system runs really well. So if you guys get the chance, the link takes you to where you can download all of the playtest. Hopefully by the time this episode comes up, they have fixed their website because after the first pass in, in just the last three weeks, they've actually come to where they're at with all of the feedback that they had been getting. They've actually already started to make errata for the playtest. These guys are taking everything that's being said. They're looking at what's being said. They're looking at what's being reported and they're fixing things as we're playing it. Which is not something that you see every day. And I have a dead tree version, but I also have the PDF. The PDF was, is instead of being errata sheets, it is just being directly uh, fixed. And then the new one that you can download is re-uploaded to erratic. Yeah. Right. So I've got a dead tree version that will have probably 20 pages of errata when it's all said and done. But right now they're getting ready to start the second uh, stage of reporting. No, the, the second adventure oh. reporting starts on the 27th of August. So, and you have two weeks from then to report anything that you've done in the playtest. And every two weeks is when they're jumping to a new uh, adventure. And each adventure is tackling different things to stress test the system. Nice. To see how it holds up. And you're playing everything. Like, the first adventure, your first level characters. The second one, you're fourth. And you've made new characters. And then the next one is a different level set of characters. That first set of characters you make, actually you get to play them three times in the seven parts. So by the end of this, you'll have a lot of experience not just playing one character. You'll have a lot of experience making new characters at various levels and stress testing the system as it's being developed. So. It's really cool, and they've done some really neat things. Some things I don't know if they, they will hold, but it's a play test, so we'll see when the final product comes out at Gen Con next year. Ooh. Yeah, they've already set the date. Yep. So, and my hope is that at least one or more of us We'll be at Gen Con for that release to get interviews and talk to people as they're doing things with it. So that's the game plan for that point next year. <laughs> so, but yeah, get out there, take a look at this playtest. It's it's a lot of fun. The way I've heard it, the way I'm going to describe it is, it's like 5th edition, in that 5th edition is D&D, but it's its own new version of it. It's not just that they changed edition, they changed a lot of functionality, from what I understand. 
and Pathfinder has done the same thing with their new edition. Fifth edition, that'll be a whole different conversation. We'll yeah. save that for some other time. But that kind of wraps up where we are this week on Remarks and hope that you enjoyed it. We mentioned earlier that you should join us on social media. Find us on Instagram, on Twitter, in the Facebook group. Let us know what you think about world building and what you'd like us to cover. And let us know if you have uh, either gotten some great local tomatoes or a slacker in the appropriate church of the subgenius. Or perhaps you are also playing through the Pathfinder 2 playtest or giving some feedback on the card catalog for the Starfinder builds. Either way, Mm -hmm. roll some dice, have some fun. And we will catch you guys next week. Bye-bye. You can contact us or the show using Twitter, Facebook, or plain old email. Our Twitter accounts are at Zendead, at Jules Podcaster, and at 2050GardMoget. And the show's Twitter account is at SeizeTheGM. You can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash SeizeTheGM. Or chat with us and other RPG lovers in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash SeizeTheGM. You can email questions or comments to the show at admin at SeizeTheGM.com. And if you have a few bills you want to send us, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast, And we thank you. joining us for this episode of CCGM. Feel free to leave a comment about this episode on our webpage, www.seizethegm.com. Let the dice fall where they may, and we'll see you all again next week. Seize the GM is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. All copyrighted materials referenced herein are held by their respective owners. No infringement intended and no claim of ownership is implied. The music for the show is Dreaming Spirit off the album Ghost Machine by the Enigma TNG. His music is released under a Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license.